Radar Magazine has caught our eye with its entertaining, smart-ass style. We've gleaned items from Radar for months now. The December issue has as its cover story an article about the plastic surgery mania of Hollywood. Radar's editor-at-large, Dale Harabi, spoke to entertainment industry insiders and casting directors to reveal a tale of how celebrities play the perfection game. It's a story that involves insane pressures and some elaborate subterfuges, and we thought it would be fun to hook up with Radar on this. Author Dale Harabi's been a key player in consumer magazines for years. He has a background in painting, which has led to specializing in stories where images help drive the content. Mr. Harabi was editor-in-chief at Blender in its first incarnation as a multimedia magazine on CD-ROM, and in 1997 he was hired by the then-fledgling Maxim as creative director and played a key role in developing that magazine's successful look and voice. Dale Harabi lives in New York and has lectured internationally on magazine packaging and branding. He's written for publications ranging from the New York Times to Wired and consults for numerous editorial clients. Dale Harabi, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thanks for having me. From reading your article, it seems pretty clear that getting plastic surgery is as widely denied as it is practiced. Can we talk about who's getting it and who is or is not admitting it? It's very widely denied in the Hollywood community, and especially in L.A., but increasingly outside of the entertainment industry across America, people are becoming almost like gushily confessional about it. So I <laughs> just wanted to clarify that. And your second question was who's getting it? Far too many people, I, I think, seems to be the consensus. People who who don't really need it yet are getting it sort of out of fear and insecurity. I mean, it's very difficult to be in the entertainment industry. It's a very competitive environment, and they're, they're all competing to look as generically ageless as possible. So, Dale, what, what is driving this casting process down in Hollywood that's producing sameness? Well, the casting directors all uniformly denied that they would ever say anything in a casting session to to an actor who's auditioning. They'd never say, well, you know, your hips are just too big. What seems to happen, however, is after the audition's over and the actor's gone, the agent of the actor will get the casting director on the phone and say, how'd it go? Oh, you know, it went okay. No, how'd it go? And then the casting director might say something like, well, her eyes looked really tired. And that becomes, that's this, it's quite an elaborate code, so nothing's ever said, but the, that translates into your client really needs an eye lift. And this is understood by both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, or they might say, well, you know, she, she read well, but I, I can't imagine what we'll do with her in the beach scene. Mm-hmm. And that's a very indirect, catty way to say, if she wants to go for these kind of bimbo roles, she's got to get breast implants. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, uh, when you're trying to make it as an actor, you have to be somewhat realistic and go for the kind of roles that you physically are capable of playing. But then the other interesting thing happens when cast directors start talking among themselves, and if they've seen an actress who has a bewilderingly blimp-like set of lips, they might call a colleague and say, okay, she's a total freak show, don't waste your time on her. And then the other one might say, okay, thank you. But if he's bored, he might call her in anyway just to have a laugh. Lord. It became very interesting talking to these people about how they talk about each other and how they talk about the stars. Uh, Apparently in an early season of West Wing, Rob Lowe's eyes suddenly looked suspiciously tight and pulled, I was told. 
everybody the next day was just all a buzz about this. And if you happened to run into Robbo's agent, you'd say, so is it true? Did he get his eyes done? And of course, the agent has to deny it. Uh-huh. They said that just watching him squirm was so much part of the fun. So they have this kind of like playful, almost slightly sadistic fun with each other, um, dealing with the fact that everyone knows, but no one will say, right. that, I, that I found very interesting. You you also noted at one point in the article that uh, that it's it's not even the stars that are the worst offenders down in Hollywood. All the realtors are out getting things done. Yeah, that was surprising. You know, and you're left asking, you know, why do you have to look physically flawless to sell a house? But <laughs> a couple of people singled out um, the realtors as the worst offenders. The executives' wives are also crazily obsessed. They're worried that they might appear in the upper left frame of the TV screen during the uh, uh, the Golden Globe Awards. You know, and just in case they're on camera, they have to look as, as amazing as possible and compete with their husband's clients. So it feeds itself, definitely. Yeah. Uh, there was a piece in the in the LA Times recent, recently, you know, the LA Times recently observed, perfection has become the city's new requisite standard of grooming. And they went on to say, Walking around with a furrowed forehead has become the equivalent of going out with dirty fingernails. It's possible to fix that. In other words, you don't look groomed in L.A. unless you are um, lineless. Wow. But that's from the L.A. Times. Yeah, well, your picture was this Viggo Mortensen. Uh, he, looked, he looked better, I think, when he had wrinkles. Well, poor Viggo. <laughs> the thing about this, though, is because Botox does wear off, of course, we're just speculating when we look at these pictures of Vigo. It, it could be that the, you know, lighting can play a, a, a great role. If he was blown up by a lot of light, he might have looked more smooth than he is in life. But you can let it wear off if you know that you're going to have another role where you need to look like a man of experience, like a, like a tough guy who would never touch a Botox needle. Another interesting thing that came out, uh, this was reported by the Wall Street Journal, it seems that major TV and uh, movie studios in Hollywood have really started to expand their casting offices in Canada and in Britain, where they're more likely to find people who, you know, whose faces don't look like um, infants' bottoms. <laughs> and so, like, the star of the, the, the recent TV series, Bionic Woman, plays an American, but she's actually from England. Truly ironic that uh, that the, 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 the obsession with plastic surgery is now backfiring on a lot of uh, would-be actors. It's just... Quite something. Well, the the general thrust of our article is, is is basically you're damned if you do, you're damned if you if you don't. If you get too much surgery too soon, you look inauthentic. You may have trouble getting acting jobs. However, if you put it off, you fight it. You take your approach, fight the botulism. <laughs> you also may be in a position of having no work because you suddenly look ten years older than your entire peer group. So it's very like, should I? Shouldn't I? I'm screwed either way. Yeah. People are interested in celebrities. It's what makes them celebrities. And, and when they go out and they get plastic surgery, they do influence a lot of people to do likewise, at least when things go well. It's clear that a lot of commerce does ride on the outcomes of Hollywood stars. Well, absolutely. The slight catch here, of course, is that they don't ever admit they've done anything. So <laughs> it's left to the public to kind of intuit that something's happened, except as when you point out, it goes horribly wrong. And <laughs> I, I wonder if how much deterrent that has on on people, because in the article we talk about what happens to, to Meg Ryan's lips around 2001, which was one of the more distressing examples. I mean, Meg Ryan had been America's sweetheart, a very kind of demure, light comic presence, 
and suddenly she ends up with these porn porn star lips, but by having injections in them or possibly implants, we're not sure. It was very disorienting to see, you know, this lovely woman who could be a nice next door neighbor that you meet at the Safeway turn into, um, you know, Alexander Hollander. So. <laughs> you have numerous pictures in your article, uh, and Meg Ryan's is rather disturbing, and, and Kenny Rogers, I can't recognize him. Well, he uh, made some appearances on American Idol last year, so I was able to recognize him. That was when I was first like, what the hell's going on with Kenny, you know? He's an exception in that he's, he did talk to People Magazine and explain that it was an, an eye lift that had gone horribly wrong. Wow. And I don't know if he can fix it, but his openness is in a weird way admirable, even though he was confessing to, you know, to voluntarily mangling his face. Well, I've noticed, you know, after looking at your article and thinking about it, that if you look at movies from the 50s or even the 70s, the women have various looks to them, but it seems this day the casting people must be going for fewer types of looks. Everybody seems to look like everybody else. Well, that's because plastic surgery can make everybody look like everybody else. I mean, uh, that has become a problem in uh, in Los Angeles. What what you find, though, is that the the cloning is particularly prominent at sort of the C-list, D-list levels, these are women and men who probably will never make it anyways. They're more susceptible to the, well, maybe a little change will help me. And also you have to talk about what goes on in the, in the casting process because that's a big factor. Interesting feature in your article, series of what-ifs regarding some celebs, and it, it's really clear that, you know, if, if, if Adrian Brody of The Pianist did get a nose job, he would be a rather more handsome fellow, but he looked he looked like a lot of other actors, and same thing for Meryl Streep. And it's almost—it's almost a shock to see uh, how different people can be can be made to look. We worked with a, a Michigan-based plastic surgeon named Dr. Tony Yoon to speculatively modify these these stars' faces using um, the software he uses in his practice. I guess I would agree. I definitely would agree that Adrian Brody looks, you know, cuter, <laughs> but he looks very lightweight. He doesn't. You know, he looks like someone that would be in a beach movie rather right. than someone who would get an Oscar for being in the piano. The character seems to be gone from his face in the redo. Very much so, and he just, he looks silly. Because one thing I would say is that men getting nose jobs, it's, it's, that's a real danger. Men who get noses that are too small really look feminine right away, and it robs them of the ability to convey certain qualities like, you know, toughness, aggressiveness. In this photo, the, uh, the after of Adrian Brody, he looks a lot like Zac Efron, a high school musical. So you can see that I don't think it would be a strategic move for him. <laughs> well, Dale, even though I'm a physician by trade, I have to confess, until last year, I had never even heard of butt implants. Maybe we should review what people are, what's being done here in the 21st century. You can get an implant to define and extend many, many parts of your body. The most common and well-established are things like chin implants or cheekbone implants have become very popular. And then it started to get really weird. It went, it went into a strange detour and suddenly people were getting calf implants, like men who felt their legs were too chicken little. I believe Arnold Schwarzenegger got calf implants some time back. That's news to me. I, he didn't seem like someone who would need them, but uh, you mean during his um, competitive weightlifting? I believe he always felt his calves were a little bit lacking. That's what I heard. I don't know. Oh, well. And uh, the butt has become uh, somewhat more recently uh, a big deal. It, there was a big rise after Jennifer Lopez rose to prominence. <laughs> now Kim Kardashian, who has clearly has a butt implants. I mean, her, her rear end extends like like a shelf that you could rest a jar of peanut butter on, you know? <laughs> there's, there's nothing plausible about it. 
Well, uh, a quick quiz for you, Dale. What are the most important surgical interventions for the stars? Nose jobs, breast implants, facelifts, or other? Well, definitely other. Okay. Um, stars who have any kind of credibility and background will be very careful before they make any of those more major changes you mentioned. Uh, far more likely is that they're going to go into a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist and get uh, some injectables. This would be, you know, rest line for the laugh lines around um, mm -hmm. your lips. Botox, of course, number one. And other kinds of what's called fillers to just do a little maintenance on your face. If you're going to get breast implants of any size whatsoever, you have to expect to be heavily scrutinized by magazines like Us Weekly, The Star, etc. Although, you know, certain prominent stars have kind of gotten away with it. I'm not sure, but I believe that Courtney Cox is often rumored to have had breast implants, but they were very subtle if, if indeed she did anything. Breast implants can be very detectable if they're done, if they're done incorrectly, if, they're, if the implant is injected over the muscle, or if the woman is particularly um, underweight. Uh, what you'll see is what looks like half a grapefruit that's been plopped on um, a bony person. Posh Spice uh, is a very uh, prominent example of how not to get your breasts enlarged. Yeah. Well, as you point out, Dale, it, uh, plastic surgery can be a tricky business, and the results are definitely not guaranteed. Uh, your article, in fact, was titled, Help! I Can't Move My Face. Uh, things don't always pan out. Well, no. Um, no, they often go seriously wrong. But, you know... Stars are, real stars, that is, are extremely careful about this stuff. That's why uh, what happened to Kanye West's mother, Donda, was, was actually very surprising in a way. Um, she was a very educated woman. She had a, you know, a PhD, and she was a professor in Chicago. She wasn't just, you know, wandering around, but she made a mistake that um, people often do make, which is not to not to, uh, A, not to listen to the first doctor she consulted with who said there may be a health risk with what you're going to do, and then B, rushing headlong into an arrangement with another doctor wh whom it appears she hadn't researched carefully enough. And um, Tara Reid tells a similar story. Uh, Tara Reid, who we, we all know ended up with bizarrely asymmetrical scarred breasts and a stomach that looked like um, a demolition site, and who she herself said that her stomach felt like a wall of golf balls, like heavy, bubbly scar oh tissue. My. Right after some unsuccessful liposuction. Do you know where she got her doctor recommendation? Don't say Michael Jackson. No, <laughs> from her brother's girlfriend, who was a penthouse pet. I see. You're not really, you know, the most authoritative source to get medical information from. No, no. And I, I think we want to inject, Dale, it's a little-known fact that physicians can claim to do plastic surgery. Uh, anyone can do that. Any surgeon can do that, even if they haven't undergone uh, surgical residency and plastic training. So listeners may want to consider that if they're thinking about getting a procedure. Absolutely. And you'll, you want to make sure that your doctor has a license and that it's in good standing. The, the, the man who operated on Donde West was in the process of possibly having his license revoked um, due to drunk driving charges. You did look up some bad actors out there in the medical field, and, and I thought one of the amazing sidelights of your article is the fact that Michael Jackson's plastic surgeon still has a medical license. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the bad docs. Well, I don't think Michael Jackson's doctor is considered a bad doctor. I, he continues to run a very thriving practice. 
I think the case of Michael Jackson was driven more by the patient who had delusional demands and <laughs> per- perhaps Dr. Klein's over-willingness to accommodate him. It must be stressed that he was only one of the doctors who contributed to the fiasco that is Michael Jackson. We definitely found people who should not be practicing. The number one choice was called is Dr. Brad Jacobs, who just lost his license last June. He'd had 26 malpractice suits in eight years. He was doing things like putting breast implants that were way too big for the cavity he'd created and smoking crack with his patients. And Yeah, that's... Uh, it was a sad scene. <laughs> yeah. I do know the medical board frowns on that. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, um, the well-known Dr. 90210, Dr. Robert M. Ray, who's a major TV presence, he has a lot to answer for, too. Um, he's very bizarre. He does things like push-ups right before an operation, which is not most surgeons would not do because you don't want to put any strain on your, your wrist and hand muscles. <laughs> And he walks around wearing a phony stethoscope that he doesn't really need. <laughs> and um, but perhaps most disturbing, he, he did a 2002 hair transplant on his own brother, which ended in cardiac arrest and permanent nerve damage and, um, and then a lawsuit brought by their sister. So that's, you know, wow. do you want to go see this guy? I think not. I, I, I'm and looking yet he's on TV. Wow. I'm looking at your picture here of, uh, of Carrot Top and Burt Reynolds and wonder, you know, I guess people need to, need, to, need to tell these stars no more formally. Well, who's going to tell them? I mean, they move in a little circle of, you know, advisors and supporters, and the more powerful the star gets, the less likely they are, it is for anyone to say no to them. And they're self-supporting each other's delusion that they all look great, you know, because you have to keep in mind that the star is probably, she's, she or he is getting some plastic surgery, but then so is their assistant, probably. So is their publicist. Their stylist might be also getting plastic surgery, and it, it becomes a little bubble that they all live in. And, and I note that you note here that uh, poor Burt Reynolds, he's just, he would like to redo some of this, but it looks like he's, it's, there's no going back. That picture that we show is from uh, a, a rather low point in Burt Reynolds' plastic surgery career. He's actually <laughs> managed to regain... Um, some ver- verisimilitude. He he looks he looks plausible as a human being now. Lord, that was particularly strange because you know Burt Reynolds represented kind of free spirited, authentic, manly fun, and then to become so visibly vain, uh, temporarily at least, affected his his persona with the public. And that's another thing men have to think about carefully: is male politicians who are getting plastic surgery, or any politician. When you get a lot of obvious plastic surgery, you're perceived as vain, and uh, they can't afford it. They have to be perceived as completely committed to the problems of their constituents. I, I want to ask you a bit about that, uh, Dale. You've worked in the past branding a publication and helped Maxim to develop what's been their successful voice. Mm-hmm. Radar has a kind of this smart-ass attitude that's really not too abrasive and not too frivolous. Um, uh I guess you have to be a certain type of writer to put together a piece like this on, on plastic surgery, or, or, or is there a way of sort of following the editor's lead? Well, the tone of a magazine is one of the key elements that brands it. You know, some magazines go for a deliberately neutral tone, like um, Time Time or Newsweek. But um, it's like a person. So, you know, if, if your voice is unique and memorable and friendly and funny, uh, people want to talk to you. Uh, we, as, as far as radar goes, we try to hire writers who are already at least 
three quarters or 80 percent there in terms of sharing our sensibility and being able to write in our voice. And then in the editing process, we help them along. You have another article here I'm looking at that's even funnier than your article on plastic surgery. You were comparing handbags to horror movie stars and giving some brilliant visuals. Yeah, I, I still don't know quite how that happened. <laughs> it's one of those bizarre links the brain makes that you look back later and you don't understand what, why was the brain off on some strange tangent and shouldn't you be reining it in and making it study, you know? I just suddenly noticed that, well, handbags were getting increasingly ugly. They still are designer handbags. We're talking about $1,100 handbags, you know, completely covered with zippers and pom-poms and distressed leather. And I suddenly noticed that they looked a lot like horror movie villains. And then once you start sitting them down and going, okay, here's this Prada purse, here's this other purse, and then you could see really obvious visual parallels to, like, Chucky from Child's Play. (laughs) and uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes, I'm, I'm laughing right now because as we're speaking, I'm looking at, 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 at on the web here where you compare a, a ruffled bag with chains to Boris Karloff as the mummy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're seeing the pictures. It actually holds out though, right? It's not like some strained parallel. The, the, visually, they really do. Oh, no, no, and that's what makes it so funny. I mean, the link is clearly there. Yeah, that was a fun one. Unfortunately, everyone keeps saying to me, do that horror handbag thing again, and uh, I can't seem to summon it from my creative well. T- tough act to follow. It is, apparently. Well, uh, Dale, um, I guess I've got just a couple final questions for you. After all you've learned here, would you yourself risk having some uh, cosmetic procedure done? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But I would go into it very clear-headed. I wouldn't do anything major. I think I say at one point in, in the magazine that I would never change my nose, for instance, because it's really what connects me to my parents. And I feel like I feel like that would be almost kind of like killing my past in a way. So, but you know, I'm I'm not I'm not completely eager to grow hideously old. So, I'm open to it. Well, I, I got to say, you know, in closing, when I was taught in medical school about the world's most deadly poison, the, the toxin that kills people when they get botulism, if you told me that someday people will be getting their faces injected with it to smooth out wrinkles, I wouldn't have believed it. Aren't you just absolutely sure that 20 years from now they're going to go, oops, we screwed up, and that all these people's faces will fall off? Well, it, it seems to knock out the muscles for six months, but sometimes permanently. That's the, the but sometimes permanently part is I kind of like makes me a little nervous. I heard about this thing where they want to Botox your entire head, <laughs> your entire head and scalp. It's an experimental treatment for migraine headaches. Yes, yes, and you can use you can use Botox in certain times for to knock out uh, eye muscles if you need to, and it can correct things that way. So it certainly has medical uses. But, but boy, what you're talking about makes turns back to the whole title of your article. Help! I can't move my face. The the idea of injecting a human being with Botox makes me very very nervous. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. Are you naturally eternally youthful? <laughs> Well, I got good Portuguese skin, uh, thanks to my genetics, but uh, I, might, I might have to uh, consider looking up some good doctors myself. Okay. Well, don't ask your, your brother's girlfriend, Penthouse Pet. <laughs> We've been speaking with Dale Harabi, editor-at-large for Radar Magazine. He is currently working on The Perfect Baby Handbook, a satirical guide for parents to be published by HarperCollins in 2009. We thank you for speaking with us, Dale. Thank you so much. Everywhere I go, I get slandered, libel, I hear words I never heard in the Bible.
You're in trouble, boy, and now you're headed in. 